Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. On Saturday night past, at 6pm, I was seated in Pearson Airport, Toronto, eating pizza. <laughs> I was on my way back from my daughter's graduation in Manchester. She graduated as a music therapist. And as I sat reflecting on the event, I knew that for her, as perhaps for some of you, her studies were the pursuit of a vocation, a calling, a dream. I also knew that for her, as perhaps for you, these studies involved not simply a decisive moment to start, but then a a long and a sometimes painful and difficult journey to get to the end. And I'm sure that more than once, not simply she, but all of us wondered if it was worth the bother. Indeed, I do remember when in 2011, and I also remember our immediate parental reactions when she stood in the kitchen and announced to us she was not returning to St Andrews University where she was doing a course in modern languages. Instead, at 19 years of age, with no other plan, she was intending to follow her dream and do music. Well, many additions, one pandemic and 10 years later, there we were. (laughs) All red lipstick and red buttons and smiling faces We were like those who dream, (laughs) celebrating not only her success, but the success of our colleagues, as though it was our own. (laughs) However, my peaceful, parental, somewhat (coughs) prideful reflection was disturbed. It was my own fault. I decided to check my emails, just in case anyone was trying to get in touch with me. And there was an email, and the email came from Zubi. He doesn't remember. I remember the moment well. <laughs> he said to me, I hope you're having a good time. I like that. He then said to me, we do need to know who's preaching on Wednesday. <laughs> I, was, I took a bite of my spicy calprezzi and I was about to respond to him. When, like the descent of a storm cloud rather than the rising of the sun, it dawned on me I had messed up the bookings. (laughs) I say it dawned on me like the descent of a cloud because I know that if you're the dean of the chapel and you mess up the bookings, that answer to the question of who is preaching on Wednesday is only ever it's me. And suddenly, although I'd already been travelling for 18 hours, I was really glad that my flight to Halifax wasn't until 10.30pm. Surely we could write a sermon in that time. Therefore, I decided the only thing I could do was try and apply the process that I teach other people how to prepare. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to do in these circumstances. My process has a very clear introduction, and it's this. Pick your text quickly, study it, and stick with it. 
because I just don't have the time to spend seven days wondering what passage of scripture God may be laying on my heart because it was Sunday and Wednesday was coming. <laughs> no particular text came to mind. And so I followed a very spiritual process. I typed into Google. <laughs> text for the day and committed to choose the one that caught my eye. And therefore, it came to pass, the text for the day was, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Right. Yet any, any text only makes a sense in context. So I looked up Psalm 126, and you just heard it read, this morning. It's a short psalm, six verses, breaks into two sections. Verses 1 to 3 look at the past. Verses 4 to 6 are something of a response to the first part. Indeed, in the temple choir, they may have been sung by two different sections of the temple choir. One part singing verses 1 to 3 that spoke of the celebrations of the past, and one singing verses 4 to 6 that speak more of the suffering of the present. However, some Scottish theologian, and therefore I was going to stick with it, some Scottish theologian said the thing that holds both parts together is a phrase found in verse 1, which can be translated from the Hebrew in a variety of ways, but I'm going to stick with the phrase, like those who dream. Mm -hmm. And in this psalm, dreaming is a good thing. It's not the sort of dreaming that you do, but Matt Walsh is trying to express the cal infinitive to you of what it means. <laughs> I think there is one in verse. <laughs> Rather, within the context of the Old Testament, this dreaming was seen as a good thing, as a way in which God communicates with people, and at times gives them an insight that is clearer than the insight that we would get from every day in what we call real life. It's a sort of prophetic dreaming where a person somehow has the opportunity to see what things can be, should be, and will be in the working of God. But more than that, it's the sort of dreaming where seeing what can be, should be, and will be in the working of God, people are willing to live into that in the present, in the anticipation of the future. We should also always rather remember it wasn't Pharaoh's dreams nor their interpretation that saved Egypt. They were saved by the fact they were willing to live in the present in the light of the future that had been spoken about in the dream. They lived into it. In Psalm 126, we're encouraged to be like those who dream. But now it becomes really hard. Because contrary to Joseph's song, in the Lloyd Webber musical, Not Any Dream Will Do. Not Any Dream Will Do because history is littered with the human remains and stories of suffering of the often poor and powerless who have had other people's dreams imposed upon them. I say this because if you're going to stick with this text, we need to deal with it. 
And one issue with this text is it's Psalm 126. And some of you heard it when it was being read. Psalm 126 can be interpreted in a very specific and nationalistic way with reference to the modern state of Israel. Psalm 126, its words can be seen as pointing to, and the modern state of Israel being seen as a fulfillment of those words. At this point, I wish I had chosen another text for the day. Because, as has been mentioned, I, and no doubt you, have been following the terrible events unfolding in the Middle East. These events have been triggered by a particularly brutal attack of Hamas against the people of Israel and what has been a long-running mutual conflict. I don't think we should underestimate for a moment the brutality of this attack as an act of evil. I don't think that we should doubt for a moment the rights of the people of Israel to exist and to live in freedom and to flourish. But if we want this to happen, we are going to have, a, have to have dreams of peace and justice and human flourishing that extend beyond any one particular nation and people and embrace all the peoples of the world, including the Palestinians. And today, that is also important. To make this more personal, our individual dreams should be placed within the greater dream of the kingdom of God and God's concern for the whole world as broad as the arms of Jesus extended on the cross. We should be dreamers, but not any dream will do. Rather, our dreams should be shaped by an understanding of the kingdom of God that for me is really helpfully communicated by Jesus when John the Baptist said, are you the one who is to come? And Jesus responded, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news proclaimed to the poor. Our own dreams should be placed within this greater dream. We should be dreamers. Dreamers in the good times. That's what verses 1 to 3 focuses on. Dreaming in the time when we see God at work and God doing things with us and for us, we should be dreamers celebrating in these occasions. Sometime in the early 1980s, I can't remember that far back, <laughs> I led a summer mission team to the west coast town of Girvan in Scotland. The Baptist Church in Girvan had often had a summer mission team. And they were pretty clear on what they expected us to do. I have a kind of unusual team. They, as well as I, were fairly young. And although they had come to faith, some of them had come to faith recently from non-church backgrounds and they didn't always know all the rules. Very quickly we worked out that what the church expected and what I appeared to have in my team were not quite the same thing. <laughs> Our expectations were different. We had a feeling that even if the things they'd done in the past had worked then, we doubted that they weren't really for us. And there we stood conducting an open-air service at the harbour in Girvan, and the leader of the church came to me and said to me, well, you know, we normally, it was just one normally too many for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
my temper wasn't always as controlled as it is now. It's that we had an exchange. <laughs> an exchange ended to the very abrupt ending of that open air service, as we agreed that he would allow this team to try and do its mission in the way that it thought best. And so we left the harbour and headed immediately into the amusement arcade, where we weren't, of course, allowed to hand out Bibles and tracts, but we discovered that if you were willing to pay and play people at pool and beat them, they would take a copy of John's Gospel. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got a week that in many ways was like no other. There were heady days, our worship times with little more than a guitar, I think played by me, GDNA, covering every possible worship song. <laughs> <laughs> and a sense of the Spirit of God and a, a community feeling that, as you know, if you've ever been in such a situation, is such a wonderful thing to have. And we, we lived there in a sense of what God was doing with us and among us. We were like those who dreamed. And maybe that's right where you are at the moment. You're in that situation as those who dream. And we should celebrate the presence and the movement and the action and the activity and the presence, the working of God in the midst of us. We were like those who dreamed. But then in verses 4 to 6, we get this turn because it's clear that things are no longer so celebratory. Rather, we hear the verses about sowing and weeping. Dreaming involves us at times <coughs> lamenting and weeping, not as those who have no hope, but because it's a dreamer's response to being faced to that by which we know it's not it can be and should be and will be. John Hawkins is a co-founder of Global Immersion, which is a Christian organization dedicated <coughs> to forming everyday peacemakers. Hawkins kind of stands in the tradition of uh, people like Shane Claiborne, that kind of tradition of activists. And he wrote this on his Facebook page, and I asked him if I could share it. He said this, As many of you know, the people of the Holy Land have transformed my life and faith, and I've spent well over a decade growing deep friendships in the region. It's a place with deep wounds and contagious hope, mm. a contested soil rooted in the best and worst displays of religion, society, and politics. I've been checking in on my friends who writes in the region yesterday and got up early to walk in the dark, to grieve and to lament. My solidarity was to weep. Weep with weeping, because sometimes that's all we can do. I wept for the 16-year-old Palestinian girl who had only known occupation and isolation, yet found hope in tapping into a secret phone line to build an unlikely friendship with her enemy, an Israeli grandma on the other side of the wall. I wept that now both of them were in harm's way, living with anxiety of the next bomb rocket landing in their village. I, I wept for her friends, sowing seeds of hope among the refugees in the West Bank who are now being treated as less than human. I wept for the children of our Palestinian and Israeli siblings who can't imagine a world beyond war and the trauma they are acquiring in this very moment, I wept for the Israeli father and Palestinian mother who have found friendship in their sheer grief of losing a child in this conflict. Mm -hmm. 
and all their work to teach empathy and understanding. I wept as the waves of propaganda are already filling our news feeds, cultivating dehumanization and offering simplistic answers, and that my faith family of origin, evangelicals, are at the center of it. I wept at what feels like the impossibility of peace, despite that being the only path towards a future where the people of Palestine and Israel can sleep at night and flourish. Lament, he writes, is naming the distance between the reality of today and the future we trust God is making. Mm. May our tears lead to tender hearts, open mind, and just actions. Mm. Reverend Johanna Cantanacho is the Israeli Palestinian Christian, currently Dean of Nazareth Evangelical College. He's written a poem, Cry With Us. Now is the time to cry and mourn, but not this hopeless time. Our tears are the bridge between brutality and humanity. Our tears are the salty doors that help us see another reality. Our tears confront soulless nations and dry mentality. Our tears are the ditch that the rivers of animosity hold. For those who mourn, weep with us to reflect their friendship. For the poor children cry with us, demanding sanity. For crying, crying mothers reject violence and stupidity. Mm. To love your enemies and to cry with them is the advice of the divinity. Blessing those who curse is the way to authentic spirituality. Shedding tears of mercy and compassion is the true mercy. Pray with tears to spread equity. Followers of Jesus crying is now our responsibility. But cry not only for your friends, but also for your enemies. Perhaps I read the psalm wrong. <coughs> but maybe the strings in the Negev are built by the tears in the desert. Built by the tears in the desert of those who continue to dream of what can be, should be, and will be in the working of God. In Psalm 126, we are invited to be like those who dream. In the bad times and the good, walk and weep for signs of peace and justice personally, locally, and nationally. And may you know days to come of red lipstick and red buttons when you can celebrate all that you see that God is doing in small and great ways. Let us be like those who dream. We're going to pause and I'd invite you to offer your prayers silently or if you want to speak out loud into the room, in particular for situations of conflict in our world. And invite you short prayers, long prayers, that's a short
Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.